the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And since it's four o'clock, you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church, whatever is on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car... The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, Tuesday, nothing going on, so we can get right to the questions. And remember, you're more interesting than uh, I am, so um, your calls are appreciated. Here is an anonymous question that came in from our mobile app, and it is, What is God's real name? Um, we know his name because he declared it to Moses. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am sent me. Now there's a lot of theological implications with that name. I won't, that's not what you're asking, but let me just say, it means that he is always in the present. He's always with you. He's, he's everywhere at the same time. I am that I am. Now, our problem with that is, is that Jews considered the name of God so sacred um, that they only used consonants. They didn't use any vowels in it. And that's why you get Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, you get those different um, um, readings of God's name uh, because we're, we're just trying to YHVH uh, and figure out what that means. So whatever it means, his name uh, whatever his name is in terms of on paper, uh, the, the scribes wouldn't write it because they considered it too holy. So we're left to, to sort of fill in the vowels and um, um, we can rest knowing that it means I am that I am. Interesting. It's especially interesting, Anonymous, because Jesus made so many I am statements. I am. Remember when they came to the garden? to arrest him. And when he said, I am, he, they fell backwards. There was such power in that name. So Jesus made the same I am statements uh, over and over and over, identifying himself clearly as being God in human flesh. uh, And that's what he was murdered for. So that's his real name. I am that I am. And from a practical perspective, that means so much to us. Here's another anonymous question from our email inbox this time. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you tell me if a Christian can also be a Mason? If not, what is it about Masons that opposes Christian beliefs? Thank you. 
Um, let me start out by saying there are Masons who are Christians. Um, they simply don't understand what Masonry is. Um, Masonry and Christianity are absolutely in opposition to one another. Uh, but, but you know, in every group, there's people that are well-meaning. Masons are focused on serving and, and doing public works, and they just think it's a, it's a, a public service organization. Uh, they can make a lot of connections. They've got friends, and, um, um, and they're Christians. They, they just don't really understand either Masonry or their Christian faith. Um, a lot of people, anonymous, are sort of on the edges of the things that they say they believe in. And uh, any Christian who would be uh, a Mason really doesn't understand his or her or his Christian faith. The, the uh, ladies, Masons, have a different name. But um, they are too in opposition. I don't like getting this question because I always feel like I'm um, somebody's going to say, well, you're insulting my father or my grandfather who is a Mason. Founding fathers of this nation were, were well-known Masons. Yeah, but they also weren't Christians. So this is important. Uh, Freemasonry um, seems to be harmless, doing good works. Um, they appear to promote a belief in God sort of like AA, um, but Freemasons, Freemasonry, let me, rather than individuals, Freemasonry um, does not believe in the one true God. They suggest that each man must act um, with courage and fidelity and devotion to his God, and that comes directly from um, Freemason.com. Uh, Freemasonry teaches uh, the existence of a supreme being, whoever that may be. And so if, if it's the God of Islam or any other religion, that's fine. It will do. So those are really, really important for us to understand. And because they throw around the word God, or in AA's case, the higher power, uh, people say, well, no, it's, it's compatible with the Christian faith. It is not. Let me give you just a couple of things, and, and then you can research the rest. Uh, the information is available out there. Um, the, the, the Christian view is that Jesus became a sacrifice for those of us who were sinners. He shed his blood and died uh, for the payment of the sins of those who believe. Now, we know that is, is essential Christian faith. Freemasonry, on the other hand, um, requires uh, their members to ignore the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice. Freemasonry focuses on good works in the pursuit of self-improvement. Um, again, from the Freemasonry website, Freemasonry focuses on good works in the pursuit of self-improvement by turning or by returning to lodge, witnessing the degrees as they grow, and becoming active part of the Masonic community. A man can build himself into a better man, and obviously, we know that um, we Christians know. The Bible teaches that our faith, uh, there's nothing good in our flesh at all, and they're striving to become better people. And, and that's why Freemasonry is often um, likened to a religion. Um, the, the Bible, we say as Christians, is the, the literal word of God. Uh, God breathed, it's authoritative in all areas of life. Freemasonry um, says the Bible is only one of seven commonly used volumes of sacred law. Um, all are which uh, all all of which are deemed equally important, and uh, again from their website, the holy book of any religion may be used as um, uh, a volume of sacred law, uh, provided that it teaches and its adherents believe in a supreme being. Uh, Freemasons would say that the Bible is an important book, but only as far as those members who claim to be Christians are concerned. Um, the Bible's not by Freemasons considered to be the exclusive word of God or God's revelation of himself. And there are so many others. Um, um, just write down uh, their view of God, their view of Jesus and the Trinity, um, human nature and sin. Uh, all of those things uh, really do nothing, um, have nothing in connection or in compatibility with uh, what we as Christians believe. So again, I want to emphasize, as I did at the beginning of this, because I often am mis, 
uh, quoted here. Uh, there are some Christians, people that will be in heaven, who have joined Freemasonry. They are wrong, and they shouldn't be associated with it. Um, but they're simply ignorant about both Freemasonry and Christianity. It's sort of like the people that are on the fringes. And for some people, you know, being saved by grace just doesn't cut it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do good things. And certainly Freemasons do a lot of good things. The problem is they're still guilty of sin because only Jesus Christ can wash away sins. So, uh, Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Jill, also from our email inbox. Um, Pastor Ron, could you explain the context of Isaiah 38, 21 and 22? What does Hezekiah's question refer to or apply to his healing or something else? His prayer earlier in the chapter had given 15 more years of life. So is the boil of verse 21 related to his recovery from death, or is it uh, to what Ezekiah asks in verse 22? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get the question. Um, let me read Isaiah 38, 21 and 22. Uh, now, Isaiah said, prepare a lump of pressed figs and apply it to the boil, and he will recover. And Hezekiah had asked, what will be the sign that I will go up to the house of the Lord? Um Verses 21 and 22 are separate issues. Um, verse 21 is the cure for that which was going to kill uh, Hezekiah. Now remember, Hezekiah is a good king. And and uh, God mercifully granted him an extra 15 years. Now, there's a lot of debate of whether that was a good thing or not. Um, his son Manasseh, the worst king in, in Israel's history, um, uh, you know, he was born during that 15 years. Um, but um, whatever was the cause of the boil, I, I would assume, now I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but I would assume it was some sort of infection in the body and this boil that was uh, uh, severe, um, he wanted to know, am I going to die from this? And, and uh, Isaiah was sent to him and, and said, yes, you're going to die from it. And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Isaiah right back and said, okay, here's what you're going to do. And the the lump of pressed figs applied to the boil, that was the uh, cure. Now, verse 22, Hezekiah had asked. Now, if you go to um, um, the account of this in the Kings and the Chronicles, you get a little bit of, of additional information. But um, Hezekiah asked, what will be the sign that I will go up to the house of the Lord? In other words, what will be the sign that I recover? And we remember the sign uh, that was given to him, uh, but but it was very Jewish to ask for a sign. Uh, okay, how do I know? Uh, give me a sign that that verifies, so I will know that I'm going to survive. But the question didn't have anything to do with the figs or anything else, um, Jill. It was just... Um, uh, very Jewish to ask for a sign, and you see that throughout the Old Testament, and then you also see it in Jesus' ministry uh, when he does things, and the, the religious leaders say, uh, give me a sign. And in this particular case, uh, Isaiah um, asked him, what sign do you want? And, and he gave him uh, the sign. And of course, we know that God kept his promise. Good question. Thank you very, very much. That's an important story. Hezekiah is a great, great object lesson for all of us. You know, as I get older, I want to finish stronger than I started. And, uh, you know, Hezekiah and some of the other people in the Bible are great sort of negative examples of not finishing as well as uh, they could have. Here is a question from another anonymous person. Um, he or she says God could have stopped all, all the school shootings where children were murdered because he didn't. Does that mean God is powerless in things like this? You know, Anonymous, when sin came into the world, you know, uh, it, it's, it's always a, a source of frustration for me personally. When bad things happen, we humans blame God. Earthquake, a tsunami, a uh, 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 hurricanes or tornadoes or uh, COVID or any well, 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 doesn't God love us? Why are these things happening? Why doesn't he stop them? Remember, the world is under a curse. 
God made the world perfect. We can't blame God for the bad things that happen. Man is evil to in, in our core. In our flesh is no good thing. And it is men, and I use that in a general sense, men and women, who, who, who do these terrible, terrible things. And the only role God plays in it is that he does not intervene. Now, I'm personally convinced, um, Anonymous, that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that God intervened in a lot of things and protected us from a lot of things. But as a general rule, God does not intervene in the things that are a result of the curse that came into this world through sin. We'd like God to intervene, but that's simply not what he does. He didn't even intervene in his own son's brutal torture. Why? Because his plan was that his son would be the sacrifice for our sins. But, um, yeah, God could stop anything. But the reality is um, sin has consequences. And those consequences have to be lived out. You know, I I get to... uh, People who are hurting all the time, they'll get a bad medical report from a doctor, from somebody in their family, a loved one, or somebody will die in an automobile accident. And well, why did God let this happen? And, I, and, and, you know, not in the middle of their grief. I don't want to sound insensitive here. But at some point, we have a conversation. Um, you know, when you read in the newspaper or when you see on the news uh, somebody that you don't know about got killed in a car wreck or somebody um, that you don't know. Um, got got cancer and, and, and their condition was terminal. Do you get mad at God for them? And the answer is always no, because it doesn't touch us personally. But when it touches us, we have a tendency as humans to shake our fist at God and say, why did you let this happen? And uh, we've we've experienced that in, in our church. We, we've, uh, we had a, a tragic murder uh, a long time ago. And um, the husband of the... Um, murdered woman who was just the best and the brightest that we had here at Calvary Chapel. Um, he, for a very long time, walked away from the Lord uh, be, because God didn't stop it. Well, that's not what he does. He tells us from the beginning that we will die when sin entered the world. And Adam, our federal head, made the choice to sin anyway we inherited this in nature, and instinctively then lots of bad things happen. And God simply doesn't intervene as a matter of course. He intervenes, I think, as I said at the beginning. We're going to be amazed at how much he intervenes. But the reality, Anonymous, is that um, God is all-powerful, um, but he doesn't intervene just as a matter of course. Here's a question from Rich. I've been asked this question a long time, Rich. Uh, it says, where do you think the Ark of the Covenant is right now? Um, I don't know. Um, but if if you watch the Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end of the movie, it's in a hyper-secret secure warehouse in Washington, D.C. Now, here's the reality. God buried it. God hid it. We get to heaven, it's going to be there. We know that's true from our Bibles, but um, where it is right now, it'll never be found. It will never be found, and it is absolutely of no value, Rich, to even think about or spend one minute or go Google surfing uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is now. There are people that claim it's in Ethiopia. There are people that claim it's hidden behind, or I'm sorry, underneath in the the deeper, deeper regions of the uh, foundation of the original Solomon's Temple. Um, there are others who uh, believe that uh, Jeremiah carried it away. Um, but the reality is God hid it just like Moses' body. He buried it. No one is ever going to find it. So... Uh, it really doesn't matter, and that's just one of those questions that, uh, I mean, you're interested, obviously, Rich, but there's just no value uh, because there's no answer. God has told us everything we need to know to find him, but he hasn't told us everything he knows. 
I think one of the neat things about heaven is going to be uh, we're going to see just how Romans 8.28 really, really look from heaven's perspective. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I imagine we could go to a Romans 8.28 class every day and see living, breathing examples of how God jumbled all things together to work out for our good and for his glory when we get to heaven. So thank you for that. Malcolm asks, do some people get greater amounts of faith or grace than others? Malcolm, Ephesians chapter 2 says that uh, we are saved by grace through faith, and the faith is a gift from God. So God always begins with his people with enough faith, and it's a gift. It's, It's not something that we can can work up. It's not something that we can confess with our mouths, but it's it's simply um, a gift that comes from God to us, and it's enough faith to believe. But once that saving faith takes effect in our hearts, once we're born again, then we find ourselves in a place where um, our faith then can begin to grow. But in order for faith to grow, we actually have to trust God. We have to give God a chance to show us that he's trustworthy. And that's what faith responds to. When God says, do this, and we think, well, that'll never work. What we got to do is take a step back and watch God. I don't like cliches at all. But but one that works in this situation is let go and let God. So many of us, we got our hands on our circumstances, and we never really get to see the hand of God move in our lives. Malcolm, one thing that I am so grateful to God for is over and over and over he's put me in positions where I had no one else to trust. There was no earthly way that that something that I believed he told me to do was going to work out. And so all I had to do was offer my body. Okay, Lord, you said it. I'm going to do it. And then I'm able to watch him move through my life. And, uh, um, you know, I've been saved now for 32 years, uh, for our 28 years here at Calvary Chapel. Um, We've seen God do so many amazing, impossible things that uh, it, it really is impossible for me to say no to him now. Now, you know, there's always something that I haven't experienced yet, but but generally speaking, I can't imagine anything that God would ask me to do that I would say, nope, can't do that, God. That's too big even for you. And as a result, because I've seen him move so often, I have great faith. Now, let me do a disclaimer here. Great faith isn't uh, pretending. Great faith isn't naming it and claiming it. Great faith isn't isn't denying reality. Great faith is simply saying, Lord, I'm scared. This doesn't make sense. I could look like a fool, but I'm going to trust you because you've proven yourself over and over and over. So faith to faith, Paul writes, and that's from one measure of faith to the next measure of faith. And I do believe, Malcolm, that it doesn't matter how old you get, if you're walking with Jesus, then that level of faith that you're going to get Um, that you're going to grow into continues to grow um, daily, weekly, yearly, as long as we're here uh, on on earth until Jesus comes for us, until we go to be with him uh, because we die. Uh, so, So everybody has the basic gift of faith. And then it's a matter of how much we're going to trust God with. And that's a matter of choice. That's a matter of choice. So... I'd like to think I have great faith. Having great faith doesn't mean I don't experience fear. Uh, Great faith doesn't mean that I I don't have doubts. The enemy is constantly hounding me. Um, But at the same time, um, I think great faith is demonstrated by doing that which makes no sense. Now, grace, I love daily grace. And I think we all get the same portion of that. Um, Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2, it's the 11th verse, 11 and 12, that the grace of God that brings salvation 
has appeared. It, the grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. And I think that's also a daily grace that we receive that grows as we understand the infinite magnitude of grace. Again, grace requires us to understand that we don't deserve it. Grace requires us to use it. I tell Paula all the time that what what we do is that we lay our heads down on our pillows when we go to bed at night and and the the goal is to use all of the grace that God gave that day. Use all of it. There's none left. Lord, I'm completely empty, but I thank you because when I wake up in the morning, I know there'll be a whole new batch of grace just waiting to be poured out over me. So Malcolm, I hope that answers your question. Um for faith to grow, you have to trust God. Let him prove to you how trustworthy he really is. And uh, for grace, uh, just use the grace that he's given you. And you're going to find a new batch of grace every morning. Hey, well, we've got 30 minutes left in this Tuesday program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 210-340-9585 or toll free. 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. I get the older I get, the shorter that two minutes between uh, in our break is. 340-9585. Here is another anonymous question from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor. Good day to you. I was speaking with a friend who was asking about tattoos. He told me he had to hide because his religion does not allow it. And he referenced Old Testament about not defiling our bodies. Of course, he couldn't tell me the chapter and verse. I told him that we're not Jews and not under the law of Moses, and it doesn't apply to us. Was I correct in that? Yeah, the short answer, Anonymous, is yes, you are correct in that. The verse is Leviticus chapter 19, um, verse 28. It's, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, there's a lot of problems with that. The idea is do not cut your bodies for the dead in a ceremony honoring the dead. And the same thing is true contextually about putting tattoo marks on yourselves. But the tattoos were the cutting. It was always um, involved with um, um, rituals that honored the dead or summoned up demons. It was something that the Canaanite peoples did. In fact, peoples all over the world throughout the history of the world have marked up their bodies with tattoos. And often those tattoos are connected with um, um, religious rituals, uh, false gods, and and summoning demons. Uh, And that's what Leviticus 19 is really all about. Now remember, God gave the law to Jews because he wanted the Jews to stand out in the world that they lived in. Jesus said the same thing for you and for me, that your light so shine before men, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, that was God's plan for, for Israel as well, to show other people that Israel's God really was God. Now, you come that with all the power of the Red Sea and all of the other miracles and the victories that God gave Israel over far superior forces. Um, God just said, okay, if you live differently than they do, and and that's just one verse that deals with this. If you live differently than those other people, they're going to want to know why. And you can tell them it's because we serve God, the real God, unlike your false gods. So that's the first issue to understand in context. Secondly, you are right. That was the law given to Jews. It was not given to us. Jesus fulfilled the law. And because he fulfilled the law, grace, a new dispensation, grace freed us from the law. We're no longer under the law. The, the written code, Paul writes, has been canceled. 
So the law doesn't apply to us. Now, one of the things that people say, oh, the Ten Commandments, we shouldn't follow them. Of course we should follow the Ten Commandments, but not because we have to or not because following them would somehow justify us because we know that by keeping the law, that's going to be my study this uh, Friday night in Galatians chapter 2. By keeping the law is no man justified. Why? Because we cannot keep the law. So the idea here is that um, um, we can't take a, a law that was specific, given to Jews for a specific purpose, and then understand that that law was canceled. It was made of no effect to us. Again, we still want to serve the Lord. We still want to walk in righteousness. But, but it simply doesn't apply to us. Now let me talk about tattoos for a moment. I think we have to be wise about marking our bodies. I always tell people uh, we shouldn't do anything permanent to our bodies until we're 40. And the reason is because we don't know when we're in our teens or in our 20s. We don't know what we're going to be embarrassed about later. Uh, I have a son, my older son, who is now a believer, has some tattoos on his body that are horrible. Um, he's had to have a couple of them covered because as a Christian, they embarrassed him. So he had them covered up and, and some things. Um, but but what I told him when he said, Dad, I'm so embarrassed by these tattoos, I said, now, Ronnie, they're a part of your testimony. Somebody can look at your tattoo and say, well, well what's the story behind that? I said, you can tell him that's who I used to be, but now I met Jesus. And this is no longer who I am. And it's a great opportunity to, to witness. We have one um, uh, pastor's wife at our church who, who basically has her testimony tattooed uh, on her shoulder and upper arm where people can see it. And over the years, she's been able to, to, to witness to people who ask about her tats. So it becomes a tool. Now, I'm going to expose myself here. I like tattoos. I especially like um, colorful ones. I like color. I like the art. I think they look cool. I would love to have them except for two things. One, I don't do pain. I just don't do pain. And I would embarrass myself. I'd end up uh, on a tattoo artist table crying and whimpering and finally saying, I can't take it anymore. So so I, I just, I don't do pain. Um, the other reason that I don't get tattoos uh, is because I don't want to limit the impact of my ministry. Uh, I've got younger pastors on my staff. Uh, many of them come from a time when tattoos were very popular and from cultures where tattoos are popular. And I always tell them, look, I will never tell you not to get tattoos as long as obviously if they don't, they're not profane and they don't dishonor God. And certainly that's not the case. But the more tattoos you get, the fewer people you're going to be able to minister to. Because there are some people, it's not right, but there are some people who are just so caught up. Um, I can't believe he or she has tattoos. Uh, they're so caught up with that that they don't listen. And what I want to do is I want to give everybody the opportunity to speak the, the, the pure word of God to the largest number of people that God wants to bring them. And if they're talking to somebody, I don't want somebody looking at their tattoos. So I just tell them, be careful. Be prayerfully careful about those kind of tattoos. So nothing wrong with tattoos. Uh, if your friend, uh, is religion, doesn't allow it, I don't know what religion that would be. Um, but um, um, he, he, he needs to get away from religion and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Good question. Thank you very, very much. And good day to you, too. Here is a question, this one from Joey. Um, does God get mad when we break a promise to him? Um, he doesn't get mad, Joey, like we get mad. I think God is mad a lot. Righteous anger um, is, is not the same as, as our anger. Our anger is decidedly not righteous. But I think the reason God gets mad is because he knows that that sin keeps him from doing for us and through us all that he wants to do. Uh, when our fellowship gets broken because of sin, and breaking a promise to God certainly is a sin, um, um, I, God simply can't be in intimate or powerful fellowship with us 
because our sin separates. Now, when we um, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. First John 1 9 says he purifies us from all unrighteousness so we can repent and then fellowship is restored. But when we make promises and then we break promises to him, I think God is, I, I think the word I would choose to use here is frustrated. Oh, I want to bless him or I want to bless her. And now I can't. Jesus said, I think because of that, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So it's, it's, it's sort of that simple. But not, don't think of God as getting angry. God is never angry at you. I think he's heartbroken because of us a lot. And as I used the term frustrated, um, it's, it's not frustrated with like, oh, I can't believe they did that again. It's, oh, I want to bless them and I can't. So I think that's a source of God's um, um, righteous anger when we break promises to him. But Joey, here's one thing, and I'll close with this. Don't make promises. Tell God, Lord, I'm going to do the best I can. And that's why I say not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And I do that daily because I don't want to make God promises. What I want to do is yield to his will. And to do that, I need the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Marilyn. She wants to know, can women be deacons? Uh, technically, Marilyn, they would be deaconesses. And the answer is yes. Uh, we know that there were uh, female deacons, deaconesses in the early church. And there is nothing that prohibits a woman from being a deacon. Now, two things. The word deacon uh, really means we're a slave. Um, it's a slave by choice, uh, doulos, um, but but it's 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 just ministry, and certainly women can be deacons and should be encouraged to be deacons. Um, the only thing that women are prohibited from being is in leadership of a church, and and probably because God has a sense of humor, leadership has always been male. Women cannot be pastors. Women should not be on boards of directors or on elder boards in the churches. Leadership is a male position, and that's established by Jesus, and it's his church, so we don't get to argue with him about why. But certainly women can be deacons. You know, Marilyn, one of the best things um, that that we do here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, uh, I have a pastor's discipleship class. It's for men and women. It's every other Saturday for two hours, um, and uh, it, it's people. We've got maybe 60 to 70 people in the class, uh, and, and those are people who, when they ask about, can I come to pastor's class or what's involved, I just let them know this is a class for people that really want to dig in and serve, people that want to grow in their faith, people that want to be challenged by God and, and, and grow in their faith and really get God's view on the world that we live in and our role in that world. And I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'm I'm guessing it's pretty close to 50-50 men and women. And the best thing about uh, those people, Marilyn, is that, that, um, and I'll just use Saturday, but it's also true on Wednesdays and Sundays as well. But when we come into church the next day, um, those people are going to be at... a minimum of two services, most of them stay for all three. They're going to sit and listen to the word in one service. They're going to serve in the other two services. And what they're doing is they're they're functioning as deacons and deaconesses. Um, so, uh, yeah, Phoebe was a deaconess. But the idea here is that they're serving people. And what we do is we ask them, look... Be on the lookout for people that you don't recognize. Be on the lookout for people and prayerfully do this. I think God will 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 have some divine appointments. But when you come in, Lord, who show me who needs to be prayed for. Show me who's hurting. Show me some people uh, who who need to, to be loved on. And um, I know that it is physically impossible for anybody to come to our church who is brand new. And not be greeted. And when I say greeted, I'm not just talking about, hey, praise the Lord, how you doing? But I mean engaged by some of the people 
functioning as deacons. We don't call them deacons. I'm not big on titles, but make no mistake, Marilyn, that is the role uh, and the function that they are fulfilling. And uh, it's impossible for somebody to come to Calvary Chapel San Antonio for the first time and not be talked to by a whole bunch of people. And Paula, um, uh, my wife, is is sort of the 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 ringleader um you know I, people come up and introduce themselves this is the first time here just want to thank you and I always say did you did you get to meet Paula oh yeah i met her a long time ago so um she's just busy that's how we can serve people making them feel welcome in the church and and that way church isn't such an awkward experience good question marilyn the answer is yes here is a question from maddie um, she says it's spelled in a female sense. I know the world is getting worse every day. How do I deal with the depression it causes because things aren't going to be better? It's almost like, what's the point? Uh, Maddie, our hope cannot be in this world. Our hope cannot be in this world. We need to understand that we are the answer that Jesus has for people who have no hope. So what do we do? I'm going to say what everybody who's from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is saying. I know what he's going to say. Just be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In his presence is the fullness of joy. So what you need to do is not look at all of the bad things going on in this world, but say, okay, Lord, you've given me the answer. I've got the solution for all these bad things. I can really help people by sharing you. Uh, I can tell them what you've done for me. And then your ministry becomes outward. Uh, The man or the woman who is... um, um, focused on how they feel or focused on the hopelessness of this world, uh, their ministry is focused on themselves. And we've got to focus outward. We've got to look for the lost and the hurting and the hungry and the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. Those are the people that become the object of our ministry. And when you're serving other people, it is impossible to focus on the things that are bumming you out. So, Maddie, just be with Jesus and don't look for things to get better. But remember every day that the mission God has given us is a mission that says, um, I'm going to help somebody else who's struggling today. I'm going to point them to Jesus today. You know, I think a lot of times, and, and I can't you can't see me here, so... Um, I'll do my best to describe this, but what I do here at church when I'm dealing with issues like this uh, in, in, in messages is I tell people that we're, we're, we're so busy looking out that all we can see is the pain. All we can see is the impossibility of, of the world we, that we live in, the hopelessness that people have. And it's at that point where Jesus would come uh, under you, put put his chin or put his hand under your chin, and tell us, you know, you're not looking high enough. Don't look out, look up. And he would keep putting our chin up so that our eyes are focused on heaven. And that's the way we deal with it. Remember, if the enemy can cause you to look out, then he's got you where he wants you. Um, things are going to be better. I, I don't expect things to be better in this world. Um, but Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And for 1,000 years, think about that, 1,000 years, things are going to be perfect. Perfect righteousness. The curse reversed. The earth, as much as possible, redeemed. And then after the 1,000 years, and all darkness is vanquished, then things are going to get better than perfect. I know that's hard to imagine, but that's the way it's going to be. So that's our hope. Our hope is in him. Our hope is to be with him. And the way we combat that, Maddie, is to be with him every single day. That's how easy it is. We've got to focus not on the things in this world, but on the person of Jesus Christ. Being with Jesus makes everything better. Here is a question from Susan that was called in. 
um, Pastor Ron, I wanted to let you um, know that I followed the advice you gave me about my sister who is unemployed and not walking with the Lord uh, on the January 31st show. Uh, I wanted to let you know that my sister Lisa decided to get baptized recently and dedicated her life to Christ. Thank you. Susan, thank you for that. So often I don't get the follow-up information. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I say all the time, if we stand for Jesus, he'll stand for us. And here's one of uh, the, the, the testimonies of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And because she stood, Susan stood for the Lord. Uh, now um, her sister, uh, Lisa, is going to be in heaven. Praise God. That's wonderful news. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. See, that's why I love doing this show. Leo asks, what is the reason for the millennium and releasing Satan at the end of it? Um, Leo, the reason for the millennium is to fulfill all of the promises God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to, to David. Um, David was promised a throne, uh, and, he, and one of his descendants would be seated on it. And certainly that's going to be Jesus. So the reason for the millennium is um, God is going to fulfill those promises. Um, um, every promise he made to national Israel, uh, all of the promises that concern the, the, the land of Israel, uh, Jesus' throne is going to be there, and he will rule and reign uh, exactly as was promised. So that's a millennium. You see, one of the things about God is he has to keep his promises. And so if if there's one promise that hasn't been kept to Abraham or to anybody else for that matter, then then God is not God. So that's the reason for the millennium. You and I, Leo, are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Now, we have no real idea what that means simply because um, the Bible doesn't give us detail. That's information that we don't need to know now. Uh, but we're going to rule and reign with him. And uh, the world will be populated with multiplied billions of people uh, in their flesh and blood bodies. You and I will be in our glorified physical resurrected bodies. And um, because of that, um, um, we're Jesus's uh, sort of his assistants. And I love that. Now, the reason that he's going to release Satan at the end of it, and this bums a lot of people out, But the reason he's going to release Satan at the end of it is because all of those flesh and blood bodies that were born during the thousand years. Now, look at the population of the earth now. Imagine now in a a nearly perfect creation, um, you've got a thousand years and and the people will be born. uh, People will still be the flesh and blood body people will still be getting married, still be having babies. But those people will all have been raised... um, without the necessity of making a choice to follow Jesus. They're going to be forced to. In the millennial reign, Jesus is a dictator, a potentate, um, a benevolent dictator, a, a glorious, loving dictator. But nonetheless, we're not going to have a choice. And everybody has to have a choice. So at the end of a perfect thousand years, Perfect justice, perfect righteousness. Nobody can blame their parents. Nobody can blame their environment or their culture. Nobody can blame racism. Nobody can blame human sex trafficking. Um, It's just the way it is. Uh, After a thousand years, Satan's going to be released, and all of the people who didn't, who weren't able to make a choice, they 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 served because they had to. Um, He's going to deceive them again. And give them a choice. They're going to make a choice. Nope. A thousand years is pretty good. I choose Jesus. Um, but to show you how depraved our human nature really is, Jesus describes those who will rebel against him as being like the numbers of grains of sand on the seashore. In other words, uh, unbelievable amounts of people are going to rebel against him. Uh, and just proves that the whole problem all along was sin. The problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't unfairness. The problem wasn't our families, our environment. It wasn't our economic status. The problem has always been humans. And after that rebellion, he will put it out very shortly. And um, those who said no 
uh, to him will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's where they will spend the rest of eternity. And then, of course, a new heaven, new earth is going to come, and that's when things get even better than perfect. I don't even know how to explain that. But that's how things will get better than perfect. So, Leo, those are the reasons for them. Good question. Thank you very, very much. And, hey, by the way, Jesus is coming really, really soon. Really soon. So we need to get ready for that. Let me see if I have a really quick question. Um, Johnny says, if God ordains governments, how do you explain the Nazis? Did God want them to kill millions of people? Johnny, no. You know better than that. Um, God doesn't ordain the people. He ordains the institution of government, and those men and women that are chosen to be leaders are super accountable to much is given, much is required. Um, so or order, government is a good thing, a gift from God to the world so that we have order. But certainly uh, God didn't uh, put Hitler in in place the people put Hitler in place. The same thing is true in our nation. We've got another election coming up. People say, well, who's God's candidate? God knows who's going to win, but he doesn't choose who's going to win. So hope that makes sense. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Tuesday program, The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.